Hey, everybody, thanks for tuning into this episode of Navigate. Some of my favorite people out there are pastors and other church based ministry leaders. And it's because of them, their leadership, and their global vision that makes it possible for me and many of my listeners out there to serve as global workers. My wife and I are indebted to many of these faithful visionary leaders. A few weeks ago, I drove down Highway 50 from our home in the Sierra Nevada mountains to the Assemblies of God District Office located in Sacramento. I did this in order to have a conversation with a guy named Brett Allen, and what you'll be, what you'll be listening to today is part one of that interview. Brett was elected to serve as the District Superintendent of the Northern California Nevada Assemblies of God in April 2016. As District Superintendent, he provides leadership to the 1,500-plus ministers and 450 churches within Northern California and Nevada. Prior to this, Brett served as Senior Pastor of Bethel Church in San Jose, California. He's also been a Youth Pastor, Missionary, Leadership Leadership Coach, District Youth Director, and Author. One of Brett's greatest passions is investing into leaders of all generations, styles, and backgrounds. His personal mission is to provide leadership by serving a community of believers who desire to impact their city and influence their world. So, glad you dropped in, and here's part one of my conversation with Pastor Brett Allen. So, yeah, thanks for joining me today, uh, Brett. I really appreciate uh, you being being with me and being willing to share your insight. Uh, glad on to do this it. Podcast. Glad to do it. Um. So we're going to be talking about, uh, I mean, we always talk about some aspect of transition on this podcast, and it's always fun to get different, uh, see it from different angles, different perspectives, and um, we're just going to kind of start maybe looking at uh, transition in terms of uh, preparing for, handing off the baton, succession, those kinds of areas of transition, because I know you have done quite a bit of that in your uh, life and work. So um, let me just ask you this. What would be two or three most challenging ministry transitions that you've navigated and what what makes those stand out? Well, uh, for me, uh, one of the great transitional challenges is when Valerie and I moved to Mexico and we worked on an orphanage. There were a lot of challenges there with language. There were a lot of challenges there with uh, a new location, new food, uh, new customs, um, uh, not being known by anybody who was there. That was a difficult transition. Then the transition that was more difficult than that was once Mexico became home and coming back to the United States and taking a youth ministry position and being exactly two full years out of the development of the youth culture and trying to get back to the helm of it. Uh, that, that was a big transition. It's a big transition going from being a district youth director to being a senior pastor of a, of a large church in, in San Jose. That was a challenge. And this one has, has had its own set of uh, uh, challenges stepping into uh, the leadership role of 450 churches across two states. So um, the, uh, the thing, though, I think that makes uh, transition always uh, the most challenging uh, beyond uh, location and beyond food and beyond uh, language is people. There's the, the problems always focus on people. You walk into a setting, you walk into a new situation, you're excited about the opportunity that God's given you, but the people you're leading may not be excited at all about the change. And so the transition it, where the rubber meets the road is always in the interpersonal uh, uh, aspect of it. 
when I came here to be the district superintendent, um, my very first day, I brought two of my former pastors, John Lugo and Paul Gottlieb. And I uh, assembled the staff and I left those two men in the room with the entirety of the district uh, office staff and I left the room. And the instructions were, you have two hours to ask these people anything that you want about me. They will not report back to me. They're not going to say anything to me about the questions that you asked or the comments that you made or the concerns that you share. These people have worked with me for many years and they know me. And so uh, they know my strengths and they know my weaknesses and they know the good side of me and the bad side of me. And they're here to help educate you so you can be at ease mm-hmm. when I show up. And it was it was several days before I showed up here in an official capacity that we, we made we made that available. And it was a very, very helpful um, thing for the people in this office to put them at ease because they did get to ask a lot of questions about me. Wow. So for me, uh, the, the difficulty, whether it's a church, a missions assignment, a district office assignment, it's always, it's always boiled down to the difficulty of uh, trying to transition uh, relationally. Relationally, yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And what are what are some life and leadership lessons you've learned related to transitioning? Um, when the children of Israel crossed the Jordan, the first thing that God did for them was stop the manna. Mm-hmm. The manna ceased, mm-hmm. and the the Lord said to them, "You're going to feed yourself off the land." And there's a truth about transition in there that when you transition. And you move from this to this. There is a heavy, heavy expectation from the Lord that you're going to care for yourself. That you're going to feed yourself. The manna is going to stop. Some of these provisionary things are going to stop. And there's going to be some extra responsibility on you to take care of yourself. The children of Israel succeeded in doing that. Um, but there, I like the principle that when you cross over and you're going to do something new... There's going to be some new area of responsibility and and burden put on you for self-care. When we leave something, we typically leave a wonderful support group. We typically leave a group of people that love us and they understand our sense of humor and they uh, pray for us and they care about us. And if they don't see us for a couple of days, they call and check on us and Mm -hmm. we're, we're well cared for. And then all of a sudden you step into a situation where it's not like that. People don't know you very well, and they're not checking on you. They're checking you out instead mm-hmm. of checking in on mm-hmm. you. Yeah, and uh, there is just a there's a wonderful truth there that you're going to need to um, you're going to need to take some extra care of mm-hmm. self until the rest of those things start to kick in. Mm-hmm. Another uh, really profound leadership principle uh, I believe is uh, I was told once that the way you come in will not be remembered as much as how you go out. Mm. And um, immediately, immediately when you arrive at a new assignment, you're beginning to determine what your exit is like on your first day, your second day, your third day. You're beginning to lay track on how this thing is going to go mm-hmm. and how it's going to end. And uh, Whether that's intentionally or not intentionally. That's you're exactly doing it. right. You're doing it. And when you get someplace and you followed a very weak leader or you followed a very strong leader, um, in six months, that leader's momentum is done. 
the negative momentum is done or the positive momentum is done. And at the end of six months, whatever's happening is on you. Mm. That's you. That's all you. So uh, your first day, your second day, uh, those are those are big days uh, to setting a tone in what's going to be happening for the 10 years or the 15 years or the nine years mm. that you're going to be someplace. Um, uh, all, all of that matters. And the start... Um, uh, I read a book one time. It was called You're in Charge. Now what? And the premise of the book is planning out your first hundred days. Hmm. Because that first hundred days is what establishes you. It's it's hmm. what makes you or breaks you. And the uh, the practices of a first 100 days, uh, for me, uh, in the pastorate I had in San Jose, those practices in the first hundred days, the things I purposed to do in the first hundred days... They, they became earmarks of the ministry the whole time I was mm. in San Jose. The same thing is true here. The, the things that we talked about and that we, that we put into action in the first 100 days of my superintendency mm. are, are, uh, are, are very much earmarks right now. So the start of this thing mm-hmm. is super, mm-hmm. super important. And what's interesting is lots and lots of times people go in and they make grave errors in the first 100 days. They make huge mistakes. They make huge overreach. They make unbelievable assumption. And then uh, uh, six months in, eight months in, they're trying to reel it all back and mm-hmm. they're trying to reestablish and trying to redo. It's so much easier than when you're in the middle of a transition to come in and take care of your first hundred days with great wisdom and to have your days planned out for a hundred days, what you're going to do for your first hundred days so that it is thought about, it is prayed about, mm-hmm. and you are following a game plan that you and the Lord are involved with, instead of coming in and just reacting to yeah. everything that happens in the first hundred days and then trying to reel it back. Your transition in and your transition out can be completely make or break in the first 100 days. So where did you learn some of those do's and don'ts for the first 100 days? How did you, how did you absorb some of that in previous ministry experience, watching, reading, learning? What are some things that you did? Well, it's been said that if you learn from your mistakes, you're smart. Yeah. But if you learn from other people's mistakes, you're wise. Yeah. And I have really watched a lot of transition in my life. Mm-hmm. My dad's a senior pastor. Mm-hmm. I watched people follow my father. And I watched some things done very well, and I watched some things done very badly. Um, I've learned some lessons that way. I have followed some people that... Uh, um, I, I watched the way they left and I learned some lessons. Um, to me, it's, um, uh, I think I've learned some of the, some of the key principles part from reading, part from having a dad that's been an incredible mentor in my life. Mm-hmm. But for me, ministry is people and ministry moves at the pace of relationship. So your first your first transitional point in first days, the principles that guide my life, you're, you're investing that heavily in people and not program. Mm-hmm. The okay. program is not sacred. The program, um, the programs are interchangeable. They come and they go. The people are what's sacred. The people are what matter. Mm-hmm. The people are what's going to endure. So the the people in your in in all of my transitions. Um, I don't care if we're sitting on chairs or pews. I don't care if the choir is wearing robes. Mm-hmm. I don't care 
um, what color the carpet is. I don't. There's so many things that need to be established interpersonally that once the interpersonal is done well, then a lot of those other uh, secondary, tertiary okay. issue types things can change very, very easily. Kind of hear you saying, kind of put the pet peeves aside for the time being and focus on the relationship. And, and if something's driving you nuts, write it down. Yeah. Write it down and yeah. put it in a folder. Things that need to change. Mm-hmm. I had a things that need to change folder mm-hmm. in most of the assignments that I've had. But they do not trump me coming in and having good quality relationship with somebody yeah. and having yeah. a good start. You know, if you're a pastor and you go to a church, go to that church and fall in love with that church and fall in love with that community. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I'm married. I've been married uh, just about 38 years. And um, when I said to Valerie, I love you, she said, I love you. She didn't say to me, I think I could love you, but you need to change this and this and this and this. And then I know I can love you. And a lot of ministers go to assignments with a hit list of things that must change in that assignment before that they they can declare their love for that church or that congregation or that mission field or whatever it is. I think we have an obligation to go in and fall in love with the church, fall in love with the mission field, fall in love with the people Mm -hmm. and um, get to know them and ask some questions like, why do you do that? Yeah. Why, why has it been done like that? What's yeah. the purpose behind it? Why is that there? And what, what's the reasoning? What was the rationale? Right. There, there usually is a reason. There usually is a rationale. And if all you're doing is taking your preference and exercising your preference and, and, and doing things based on preference, you're going to hurt somebody. You're going to bruise a relationship. And you just don't have enough relational coin in the bank to be burning those bridges right. 30 days in, 10 days in, 28 days in. You just can't do it. You can't do it. Yeah. Yeah. So would that go for, so that would not only go for a, for a lead pastor who is coming in as the, the lead or senior pastor, but it would also go for someone uh, on staff, I'm assuming. Absolutely. Same, same principles involved. Anybody that's leading people. If you're the head of the facilities team and there are six people answering to you, the same principles, they still apply. If you're a Sunday school teacher and you're replacing somebody who's been teaching that Sunday school class for 30 years and they've retired and uh, you're coming in and you're taking over that class, the same principles apply. When I came to work uh, here at the District Resource Center uh, for Northern California, Nevada, we have had a long-term practice of putting portraits of the executive officers on a wall right out here. Mm-hmm. You walked by that wall on your way into I've my office today. Yeah. And um, in one of my very first meetings with Dr. Sam Huddleston and Dr. Jay Herndon, uh, Dr. Jay said, uh, Pastor, we need you to go down and get your portrait taken so that we can put it up. Because there was a big hole on the wall where Brother Braddy's picture had been taken down. And I asked a question. I said, why do we do that? And they said, we've just always done that. And I said, okay, why is it important? Why is it important to you guys? And so we talked about it. And Sam said, let me make this easy. You got something on your mind. What is it? And I said, I was just wondering, that's valuable space. People walk by that all day, every day. Is there anything different we could be doing there? They said, what are your thoughts? And I said, I thought that we could take our pictures down and we could put pictures of pastors up there and remind everybody that's why we're here is to build pastors. Now, that whole entire process, that whole entire conversation moved us. It made a, a philosophical shift of this mm-hmm. building that it wasn't about portraits. It was about pictures of pastors in action. And it helps us keep our eye on the mission of, of the district building. But it was done through question. 
It was done through um, inquiry. Right. And it was done with an essence of of humility Mm. instead of a uh, directive and an order. Um, I was more than happy to have that conversation for the next couple, three months before I had a portrait. As a matter of fact, I still haven't had a portrait taken. So to me, it's not as important that my picture is on that wall as the pictures of pastors. But in that, I was able to move myself down the road, both relationally with both Dr. Sam and Dr. J, as as we worked on something together that we now are, all three are very, very proud of. Right. But it was done in a in a relationally affirming and building manner. Yeah, yeah. That's great. And, um, yeah, and Ian, that goes back to the relationships. I mean, just the fact that you, you know, mentioned putting pastors, you know, portraits on the wall. It's just, that's what you're here for. That's what you're here to build. Right. And uh, I love that approach. Um, what, um, what, you know, one of those things areas of transition that we don't always um, want to talk about is the is succession planning or, or uh, you know, handing off the baton, those big handoffs in life and ministry that we do or that we need to do, the, those pivotal points that we come to. Um, why, in your opinion, is having and implementing a succession plan an important piece of navigating successful transitions? Well, without it, um, the stress you put on the organization is intense. Um, asking the organization to start all over again every time a new leader comes in, new vision, new new philosophies on finance and uh, uh, counseling and days off and all the philosophy that gets put into the life and the in the 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 body uh, of a, of an organization all of a sudden to have it pulled out and all new ones right it it's so hard to transplant a heart in an individual it's mm. so hard to transplant a heart in a ministry mm. to to pull it out and to say okay now accept this new heart and that's going to be the way it is from now on. It's very difficult. It's very, very traumatic. Yeah. Yeah. So the the better that you can do with succession, the better you can do at handing batons mm-hmm. uh, to to in a succession plan, the better off you are. I was the district youth director here for five years. During those five years, I had a young man on my advisory board the entirety of that time named Abe Daniel. Abe Daniel's mm-hmm. a pastor here in Sacramento uh, Trinity Life Center. Abe succeeded me, and five years he worked with me, and then seven years he became the district youth director, and the spirit and the flavor of it mm. was exactly the same, even though Abe is many years younger than I am. Uh, I'm about 16 years older than Abe. And the description of my leadership to Abe's leadership was Brett was a father figure where Abe is the older brother. Hmm. But please notice it's still got family, family denotation. There's it, it was more of the same spirit, even though there was a 16 year difference in age, the continuity still stayed there. And what a benefit to something that had good forward momentum with the youth pastors and the development of the youth pastors, Pastor Abe was able to carry on. 
I think one of the uh, interesting things about this whole idea about succession, the reason we don't talk about it very much is because we just don't do it very well. Yeah. And the reason that it doesn't happen very well is because it can't just be the pastor that thinks it or the leader mm-hmm. or the head missionary or or whoever yeah. that thinks it's important. It has to be thought important by all levels of the organization. Mm-hmm. Um, if I can talk about church for just a minute. Yeah. In a church, we're in a, we're in a congregational form of governance, and that church has to vote on the new pastor. Well, to take um, a succession plan can never override the will of the people voting in a new senior pastor. The senior pastor doesn't get to say, that's, that's not going to happen. I'm appointing my successor. So what has to happen is that the succession plan has to be normalized in all spa- aspects of the life of the church, the board, the, uh, the pastoral staff, the okay. congregation. Everybody has to be able to see it yeah. is a valuable thing, which means we're communicating it prior to six months before the pastor's leaving. Right. It's got to become part of, of the whole entire makeup of the organization mm-hmm. to say, um, we are uh, elevating, raising, appreciating, developing, yeah. and promoting young ministers on this staff. And we're watching them grow from this position to okay. this position to this position. And pretty soon it just becomes a part that we're used to seeing pastors move and grow and be promoted and be appreciated and being given incredible opportunities uh, that uh, that lots and lots of staff pastors aren't given. Now, if if an organization runs that way, then it's going to be normalized. If it isn't run that way, then you're going to every six to eight years, every 10 years, whatever it is, you're going to be getting a heart transplant. And, And every time that happens... The church goes into yeah. traumatic uh, turmoil, and you lose a lot of people, and then you have mm-hmm. to get a whole bunch of new people, and everything gets disrupted for usually about two years. Yeah. It takes to work yeah. its way through that. Yeah. And if that pastor then leaves at the end of a turbulent two years, then the church is now the church has taken a step back. Yeah, yeah. I, I love what you're saying. It's an intentional process. It's not actually, you know, like you said, it's not making some formal announcement necessarily, but it's just communicating that that philosophy of ministry philosophy and intentionality of behind that of 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 preparing the next generation. Mm-hmm. At some point there has to be a formal, you know, all the formalities do right. have to take place. But but right. at first it's just on all levels, like you're saying. And what if it doesn't happen, like you said, there that creates this this huge hole. And it's like all, all churches have vision statements. Right. Somebody started writing books in the 80s that we all need to have vision statements. So now every church has a vision statement. Not all churches are run by vision. Hmm. Just because you have a vision statement doesn't mean that you're run by vision. Being run by vision means that you have a vision statement. And when you're putting something on the calendar, you say, does that does that further our vision? When you're doing your budgeting process in a church or in a ministry... That is a vision exercise because you're only spending dollars on things that promote the vision. You're hiring people in accordance to the vision. Right. You're training your people leadership skills and talents based on the vision. So the vision becomes the directing force of dollars and calendar and personnel. Now, just because you have that printed on your bulletin or it's hung on the wall or it's on a piece of paper in a manila folder in your desk doesn't mean that you're a, a vision-driven ministry. 
And it's the same exact thing. We, we've got churches that have a vision, but they're not vision driven. We have churches that want to talk about succession, but it isn't permeated the, the whole of that church. And so for that reason, it's not going to be successful. Okay. So what would you say to a pastor? Maybe they're in the, you know, they they've, they've come to that realization. They need, they need, uh, it, they, it needs to be more than just something on a piece of paper. It actually needs to be implemented. Some kind of succession strategy, let's say, rather than an, you know, an announcement or, but, but there's some kind of strategy moving forward. So that pastor knows I'm not going to be here forever. Um, I may have five more years. I may have 10 more years, but what would you to say to, to a pastor, pastor in that situation who, um, or a missionary, um, ministry leaders in general who, who are in that kind of situation and would say, I, uh, where do I start? Where, where do I begin? Who do I, who's the first kind of go to in this? I think you start with lunch mm. and you start with lunch with the people who work with you one-on-one. Okay. I took every one of my pastors out to lunch one-on-one and I said to them, where do you see yourself in five years? And from those meetings, Tim, I was able to hone in on three or four people that I saw as very keen opportunities okay. for me to see as a successor. There were some of them that said, uh, what, where do you see yourself in five years? Well, not here. I don't see myself still being here in five years. I see myself doing this or doing that. Okay, well, that's fine. And the other reason I want to ask that is because he gave some to be pastors to equip God's people for works of service. I want to, if you're, if you have a call to missions, I want to work very hard at helping you become a missionary. If you want to be an evangelist, if you want to be a school teacher, I want to help you get from where you are today to what it is that you feel God's calling you to do. And if you're saying to me, I want to be senior pastor in a church, then I have a responsibility to start dumping a lot of resource from myself into mm-hmm. a young staff guy to make sure that they are able to hit that goal. You know, those staff members are not there to serve me. They're there to serve the Lord. And I have an opportunity, I have a window of opportunity to make an investment in them to help them become what it is that God's called them to be. Yeah. So if I have a young man on my staff and he says, I really want to be a senior pastor one day, I don't care what his current position is. If he's a youth pastor or a college pastor, he works on the maintenance team. He needs to be uh, invested in. I I really believe that when I was a senior pastor, that my number one responsibility was the investment into my staff. Mm. If you put if you put heavy emphasis on your staff, and your staff are elevated in their abilities to lead and problem solve and deal with with congreg- congregational issues. All of a sudden, your effectiveness is multiplied many, many, many mm-hmm. times over. So I would invest heavily in the staff. But part of my monthly objective with every one of my staff was working on where they wanted to go, not what I needed them to do. Mm-hmm. And so I think yeah. all of us that uh, have, have the privilege of having people work for us, those people have every right to know that I'm not trying to just uh, get 40 hours out of you this week. I am trying my very best to get you in a position where you are being trained and equipped to be able to do what it is God's called you to do. We do leadership training here every month. Once a month, I get together with this entire staff and we spend time on a Tuesday morning for everybody. It doesn't matter what the position is that you hold in the District Resource Center. You come to that meeting and it is my effort and it's my time to invest in you Mm -hmm. leadership principles to better you toward what it is that God's called you to be. That's good. That's good.
You can learn more about Pastor Brett and what he does at brettlallen.com. And be on the lookout for part two as Brett shares more about navigating successful ministry transitions. How do you start well? How do you leave well? How can I best honor relationships through this challenging transition? These might be questions that have come up for you as you've listened to this podcast. A leadership coach is someone who comes alongside you in your journey to help you process change and see the big picture. To learn more, book a discovery call with me at EncompassLifeCoaching.com if you're interested to learn how working with a coach can help you get unstuck and grow during this time of transition. Thanks for joining me today for this episode of Navigate Podcast, and I've been your host, Tim Austin. If this has been helpful to you, would you mind rating the podcast? Uh, Give us a review, share on social media, get the word out. And of course, you can always subscribe so that you're sure to get in on the next episode, and I'll see you there.